Hello everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the current season of the Ethics of Research. My guest today is a very good colleague of mine who researches extremist communications in the online space. Before we begin, I would like to provide you with a bit more introduction about her. Nadia Hai just finished her PhD at the Carleton University School of Journalism and Communication. She researches the way Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State present their respective causes to Western audiences through their online English language media with a focus on their online magazines created and distributed by their respective media foundations. She completed her master's degree in culture and society at the University of Calgary, where her thesis examined the rhetorical devices Al-Qaeda employed in its English language magazine, Inspire. Currently, High works as a national security policy analyst in the federal government. Here is our conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much, Nadia, for taking the time. Um, congratulations. I know you just defended your PhD dissertation, <laughs> yes, which is such a big, such a big <laughs> moment. Um, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so to begin with, for our listeners, um, what is the topic or what was the topic since you're done? What yeah. was the topic of your PhD dissertation and how did you get interested in that? Okay, well, it just feels weird saying was now. But um, yeah, so my research looked at how Al-Qaeda and Daesh, or I guess ISIS, as some may say, um, appeal to Western audiences. So what sort of narrative frames they use in their, and I, my study focused specifically on their English language texts, more specifically their magazines. So Dabiq and Romia by ISIS. And then for Al-Qaeda, it was Inspire magazine. And mm -hmm. Inspire is actually, I did my previous master's thesis work on it. Mm -hmm. So I looked at uh, selected 10 Al-Qaeda publications, 10 Daesh publications. So five of Rumia, five of Dabiq. And then basically, but yeah, between the years of 2011 and 2017, mm -hmm. and just kind of looked at what Yes, what sort of narrative frames they use to appeal to different Western audiences. So mm -hmm. it was a grounded theory analysis of all those texts. Why these groups? Was there a particular yeah. reasons? Like, why um, were you interested in them yeah. specifically? Well, I guess it's like, it kind of, I think in the back of my mind, I had an interest in this. Um, because I think, I guess, like, you know, starting high school during 9-11, and then starting undergrad, you kind of saw the rise of I guess the buzzword at the time was like homegrown terrorism. Yeah, so, yeah, I remember that. You know, the London attacks in 2005 and then the, um, I guess it was like the attacks in Spain, which mm -hmm, happened in yeah. 2004. Well, so yeah. it was just kind of interesting to me, like why someone who I guess for the most part has a similar background to me. So like growing up in the West, kind of having a Muslim background yeah. would like, be drawn to this movement yeah um yeah. and then once you decided this is what you wanted to study yeah. um did you have a plan that you you will use quantitative methods or qualitative methods were you a fan of either one of them or did it happen after you you started your research um I think it was probably qualitative methods so like as an undergrad I had the opportunity to work on different undergrad research projects and mm -hmm. I just remember working on one project and it was about plagiarism like plagiarism in the internet so academic yeah. plagiarism uh -huh. in the internet and I remember I did surveys and I did like the sorts um a study of different websites that sold term papers 
But when I did those surveys, what was the most interesting thing to me was like, yes, there's the stat of how many people who have known someone who's plagiarized, but just the Mm -hmm. idea of, um, you know, how they mentioned, how they talked about it, um, what methods people use or how one could justify it. I think Mm -hmm. it's in qualitative, you could also see, um, I guess, yeah, the interesting like narratives or how people talk about a particular situation so Mm -hmm. or even on the websites themselves I was more interested in how they would justify buying a term paper what specific types of justifications they had and I think from my research I knew I wanted to look at online subcultures and of course me being like naive like new researcher and I'm like oh maybe I'll just like look around at forums and see what I can (laughs) find and then one of the profs like okay well maybe just uh, be careful because yeah you know, this was around the time, like, um, I think there was a case in the UK, it might have been in 2011, where actually legit, like, a guy researching Al-Qaeda downloaded a manual and was arrested, like, you know, you're kind of yeah. walking some, like, thin lines, <laughs> so she's like, okay, you might have think of another way to do it, so I remember, I think it was through talking to another academic who connected me with a grad student, kind of took, told me about certain like um, think tanks that like look at these texts to see what I can find and then I remember one I think was a blog post that showed up maybe just like an image of Inspire magazine I was like oh there's like this magazine like so I went on the internet archive at the time this was at in the grad student's office I think there was like one computer that you didn't have to log into so I remember (laughs) getting those copies from archive saving them on my USB and I'm like okay good I got my texts which this was gonna bring me to the next question right so I I remember that the case that you're talking about and also just generally like you you mentioned too like like from being from a Muslim background yeah were you not um like were you now um uh, not nervous at time because even let's yeah. say you got the material off that computer yeah. but still like you're still doing research on these topics yeah. Right? so oh yeah definitely. so once yeah so once you started um how did you what were the ethical guidelines that you had to follow both personally and also as per, per your institute institutional IRB as well yeah so for the IRB I guess like at that point when we were talking about accessing certain texts it's like if it was something that was publicly available from an archive um yes you could access it okay so but if it was something like a forum where you had to log in yeah um you would have to get some sort of ethics approval so I guess for this specific text type research I know that this was something that was openly available in fact you know al-qaeda and daesh this is their public facing stuff they want out there (laughs) but um um so for for that i think there were some security issues like i was a bit worried so i would just keep yeah i never went on any other sites after that it was just like the the archived (laughs) magazines and of course like you know i would never travel with my laptop on vacation when you go to the states you know yeah especially well it just like looks really sketchy when you're like oh what do you got on there you know a bunch of isis stuff (laughs) and some inspired magazine including the classic you know make the bomb in the kitchen of your mom issue their inaugural issue but (laughs) yeah so i think it was just about security and like safety around that and i guess i'm Sometimes when it comes to dealing with this material, I think, well, I guess in the traditional thesis format, you're not exactly making 
visuals like widely available so I guess there are ethics about sharing this material right right um because one of the archives I got my Daesh magazines from I think it was jihadology yeah, Originally, yeah those were just openly available yeah. but then eventually I guess they switched to being like okay just let me know if you have a good research reason from your university to say right. when you should access this did you face any pushback from your institution institutional IRB uh, both in terms of the topic you selected or the fact that even you know yep. it's publicly available but you're still if you were to use your own laptop and you know what if you got flagged or what if there were <laughs> yeah. you know anything what, was there any concerns or pushback from them or or no no not entire not really I think mm-hmm. it's just mostly because this was something that was taken from a publicly available archive okay yeah what about no. if you had to present at conferences like if you had to go to us or any other country what would yeah. you do will you still take your i'm assuming it's your work laptop right that's oh yeah that's true it. yeah because i think um the one time i traveled internationally was to ireland and i remember it was for the i guess the eu vox Poll conference yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i just remember them yeah just asking like what are you here for i'm like oh, a conference on like terrorism or just even for work to security interviews right yeah and to admit like oh yes i've looked at all these like <laughs> jihadist publications but it's for my research so and they were okay um, with it yep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like pretty established like right if it's like you know you would google my name and it's like yes i did this research as yeah. a phd student yeah. it's legit it's above yeah. board but um it would have been interesting to do studies that are you know actually do look at forums or talking to people but it's just yeah. like you know for a phd project it was it's pretty tough getting that sort of ethical <laughs> ethics approval because i think yeah. i remember there was that one tsas study where i guess with um dr amara Singham and dr yeah. dawson yeah but i yeah. remember they talked about getting ethics approval getting a lawyer involved because you yeah. could potentially be talking to actual terrorists like, yeah would have been an interesting one to do but probably not for a phd for yeah me. you didn't want to be done but i think what's really interesting about the text studies though is because it's not just like you know here's like the two of them talking it's just like actively how they want to be seen by yeah. outsiders right and that that's a part i found really fascinating like how do they present their movement how do they kind of incorporate a lot of other things that could potentially appeal to western audiences so a lot of social movements mm-hmm. or um i think it's just like while both groups would claim to be like oh we're we're against quote unquote the west um they were still heavily reliant on it to define mm-hmm. themselves exactly. and often really reliant on western voices to see that you know that they are relevant right yeah. um so when you were doing your research and you mentioned a little bit about the sharing aspect of it you know like to not share more yeah. on public forums but because you are doing research and then you are mm-hmm. presenting at conferences you're also writing yeah. your dissertation so were there mm-hmm. any ethical issues that came up after you had done the research part and now you're doing the writing and the sharing part did you have to make decisions that oh this passage is important for my research but it also is propaganda so do i include it in my thing do i paraphrase yeah. it like were you grappling with those kind of questions to what to include and what to not include 
Not so much because I guess in the case where in my research where I'm contextualizing the actual passage, they mm -hmm. know it's, I guess, propaganda for lack yeah. of a better word, like it's <laughs> made to convince the audience of something. The thing I probably would be more um, wary of sharing, I guess, especially in the Al-Qaeda publications when they'd have actual like manuals. Yeah. So typically, like if I have, I would always include images of the magazines. Often when I was doing a guest lecture or doing a conference paper thing, but often it would just be like a small picture of it, mm -hmm. of a, whatever an important like ad or an image or an article from the magazine, but yeah. nothing that was available or downloadable. Especially there, when it came to like the manuals. Yeah, I, I was gonna yeah. say like, and is it, were manuals still important for your research, or were you most interested in the ideology and, like you were saying, you know, the way they are presenting themselves to a Western audience? Yeah, I think what was interesting was how these, um, how they were positioned in the larger narrative of the magazine itself and it's kind of interesting because even al-qaeda themselves was on their like magazine was like well you know it's like they talk about all these manuals but it's all about the ideas around it man. <laughs> but um yeah because of um how how each group framed individual attacks so for example for daesh but i think early period like when they're mm -hmm. in the heyday of their full caliphate and everything they never really talk too much about promoting individual attacks mm -hmm. um when individual inspired attacks happened they would almost discuss it in a more they would kind of see it as the attacker as part of this larger army responding to their leadership calling them to attack okay whereas okay. for al-qaeda the way the magazines promoted the attack they're also much more technical with their manuals um they would do they would kind of talk about oh you're just like this lone individual with like his faith in like the Uma and like a bit of technical know-how this magazine is an actual tool to bring about it so they're less centralized more of like an individual like lone warrior as opposed right. to like while it's the same sort of quote-unquote lone wolf attack yeah daesh tends to frame it more like you're part of this army because yeah daesh didn't really have any attack manuals until ramia came out mm -hmm. but they i mean they weren't really like i mean al-qaeda would have more technical stuff like here's how you build an explosive and do all this and it just seemed like what Al what daesh almost seemed to do was to take attacks that had already happened but then claim those attacks as like a method that they're now promoting. So mm -hmm. they had the vehicle attacks in Nice, for example. And then right. then in one of the Romia issues, it's about, oh, here's the specific ways of conducting an attack. Or there was a stabbing in London. And then it's like, oh, here's how to do knife attacks. These are very, I guess, rudimentary things, but it's not so much about the manual itself on how to do it. It's something I guess people don't need a lot of know how to do, but it's almost them right. saying, okay, these types of attacks are our type of attack mm -hmm. and we're commit, yeah, inspiring people to conduct them in this particular way. Was any of this surprising for you before, for example, before going in, were you expecting this kind of, like you will find this or was there anything that really caught you off guard or was very much surprising during the process of your research? 
Um, uh, during the research, I guess it was really interesting is like how much they talk about each other, but it's more so um, ISIS would talk about Al-Qaeda more. So right, right. a lot of criticism, whereas earlier on in my sample, Al-Qaeda never really criticized ISIS by name. I think maybe there's like one piece by Zawahiri earlier on where he's kind of hinting at certain movements, kind of creating division within the movement and taking things too far. And it's not until like an interview and much later in the sample where he's like, okay, these um, these individuals are, you know, Daesh or Al-Dawla, I think is how they describe them, um, is being too extreme and they're going to alienate other believers. Whereas in Daesh publications, um, you would see how they would have entire articles or features criticizing Al-Qaeda, talking about how they're sellouts, they're not the real believers, they're very corrupt, um, we're the real movement. And I think it was just that, I guess, what, I think it's Torsen, okay. Have to cite the source but um this inter-jihadi competition yeah yeah <laughs> how was the process like for you personally right because yeah. you're reading these posts or these yeah. um, these magazines these articles and they're talking about some heavy stuff like you're yeah. saying like, like attacking each other talking about west and you know how to do the attacks how was it for you just, you know, not as a researcher, but as a person, like, you know, yeah. was, is some of this heavy, like how are some of the images disturbing? How was it for you? Did you have to, you know, take breaks, engage yeah. in a specific yeah. forms of self-care? How, how was the process for you as a person? As a person, yeah. I think mostly, I guess it's like when I had my researcher hat on, you're like, oh, it's interesting how they justify certain things. But when yeah. I, yeah, come across the actual like human impact, like a disturbing image or something yeah. like that, I would, yeah, I usually have to take a break, um, kind of do something else for a bit. Also just like talking to people who do similar kinds of research, right? That I found that was very helpful. Yeah. So people who study other extremist movements and how they deal with it. Is it, is it, do you think that you will continue this research in one way or another going forward or are you done are you done with are you done with this topic now that you've written a whole dissertation on it I don't know maybe I think I for for now I guess the next phase is probably just to try to make something out of my dissertation potentially doing an article or maybe even um I don't know if I'll go the book route or not, but I think there is one chapter I could turn into an article or, or two, yeah. but it would be interesting to see like, so Inspire had a precursor magazine called Jihad Recollections. Yeah, like I yeah. mentioned it in my um, literature review, but it would be interesting to kind of incorporate that into the sort of sample to see um, if there are any changes or how these different frames I identified in my previous study show up there uh when you're reading these posts um and yeah. you know apart from the attack how to do the attack they're yes. also often talking about their grievances right like what yep. exactly is the problem for them yeah did you ever feel sympathy or empathy for their views like whatever they were presenting like the, you know where they're coming from or was it uh, you know as a researcher or was it always like a you know 
of course, people disagree with the ideology, but the views that they are presenting, they, if yeah. you were trying to understand it, did you ever have those kind of emotions while, while reading them? I think what one thing that was interesting about the study is how they kind of, well, this was Tana came up in my dissertation defense discussion was how yeah. they'd often appropriate certain social justice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for example, like the plight of like Palestinian human rights, yes, often yeah, they kind of cite yeah. that, even though they're not exactly a group directly involved, but, right. you know, trying to use that to pull audiences in. But what was really interesting too, is um, how they would try to talk to Americans and make sort of yeah american-based movements like appeals to that so there um inspire magazine had an entire issue on anti-black racism in america so going back from slavery to segregation to police brutality saying well you know under i guess their version of islam there's no racism and Mm -hmm. you know you've got to uh, we both have the same enemy and that's this notion of quoted quote America even though they're part of America but it's like the source of that problem or one where they kind of made an appeal to occupy Wall Street like Mm -hmm. a a message to the 99 percent so it was interesting how they pull in different angles or try to appropriate different social movements right so what are uh, I know you have mentioned uh some of them during our discussion but what were like maybe the main findings of your research I think one of the main findings was how they, while they reject, I think I mentioned this before, how they reject the West and Western culture, they were still heavily reliant on it, not only to appeal to audiences, but for their own legitimacy to say that they're being talked about or they're seen as an existential threat, not just some other abstract threat. Um, And it's also how they're both trying to distinguish themselves as like the... um, you know, jihadist movement. Right. They're kind of like, you know, the Coke and Pepsi of the jihadist movement, deciding which one's like the pure movement. But what's the most interesting thing too, is that what what Al-Qaeda saw as its strength, so being more flexible Mm -hmm. in terms of not being too extreme, but also being a sort of loosely networked movement that can act quickly. Um, Daesh kind of saw as their weakness in a way because they were more of a they were selling out they were focusing too much on local laws and customs of where Mm -hmm. they are and then of course Daesh is what's it saw as a strength that we we stick by I guess their interpretation of Sharia these sort of strict principles and you know no compromising on them at all because we're the purest movement Um, Al-Qaeda saw that as a sort of weakness in them because then they're being too extreme and they're alienating people and they're not right. focusing on the the sort of main target or the far enemy America right yeah it's uh, um if, when you were um you know looking looking at yeah. both these groups um yeah did you in your opinion do you think yeah. that in terms of just propaganda or the you know the message that they were uh, trying to present do you think that uh, in terms of whoever their audience is does yeah. one stand out more than the other for the audience or do you think it will then depend on like you were saying you know whether you as an audience member also if you prefer flexibility or you prefer yeah. moderate you know more extreme version like that you will just yeah. pick that one or do you think one was better than the other in terms of the, the uh, messaging I think it's just like well I guess in terms of like 
for lack of a better way, it's like quality, you know, when you had a Daesh publication, I think they did a better job of like proofreading, having page numbers and longer written articles and okay, slightly better graphics than Inspire. But I think the thing with Inspire is that like it kind of made it flexible enough where they could incorporate other sorts of movements. So okay. they could appeal to other social justice movements, whereas I guess um, Daesh, it was more about, um, at least earlier on, it's like we are this caliphate and we are this strong state and you have to come here to escape all those problems. So I think a large part of Daesh's appeal was on its caliphate. And mm-hmm. then as it started to lose that in Ramia, it just became more about, okay, well, it collapsed, but no, this is us, like, um, this is like a test for us to see who the, if the strongest will remain. And um, well, I guess they, like I said, at the research, like they went from like their original thing when they were expanding their caliphate remaining to expand, remaining and expanding to mm-hmm. like remaining with everything they have. Right, yeah. What would you, what would your advice be to grad students who want to study a similar kind of topic? Should they study first of all, or should they run away right now? (laughs) And, you know, if they were to study it, what are some things, you know, ethically, uh, research-wise, they, you know, they should keep in mind as they embark on on this? Yes, it's always a fascinating area to study, especially, you know, when you get to, I think for ethics, I guess it's in terms of, I think how you're going to access your texts, I believe, right. or like depending on the type of study, right? So for me, I can only speak from the perspective of like, you know, textual studies. Right. Um, yeah. um, also, I guess in terms of, for research, I think one of the things that really helped me was just talking to people who either have done a sim- this type of research or who are in the process of it. Because um, I think like with those different conversations, you never know what you'll find. I think in one of this was during my master's thesis. Um, yeah, and um, one of the professors I talked to told me about one of their grad students who did work on this topic. Mm-hmm. And then from her, I managed to get a lot of different places to go to look for these sorts of texts and resources or for literature to look up on the subject. Yeah. So basically it's, it's that have a network of people basically. Yeah, I think that's it. Having a good network of people. Yeah. That's usually helpful with this type of research. And how was the writing and the getting it done process? Like, do you have any advice on that? (laughs) You know, I found like near the end, like my mantra was always like better than nothing because, um, so for the first part of my, for I guess the last couple of years of my dissertation, I started working full time. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I did it was like writing small amounts after work each time. So I would go from work and instead of coming directly home, mm-hmm. I would go to a coffee shop and do 45 minutes. And nice. if I felt like doing more, sometimes I do a bit more, sometimes I just do the 45 minutes, but it was just like packing away at like little bits at a time because I think sometimes you have a tendency to be like oh I'll just like wait in a couple weeks or I'll have this like ideal time of like where I'll be able to write and then sometimes I'd like sandwich it between like if I wanted to meet a friend for dinner I would just be like okay like we'll meet at this time but then meanwhile I'd go to like a nearby coffee shop and work until 
that dinner came up so yeah. that was like because then you're just like forced to like write so that's what I found like little bits in between like consistency basically consistency key, yeah. right consistency <laughs> as opposed to like waiting for that one large session because sometimes you will have a big long I guess writing binge and then it's yeah. like you're tired for the rest of like it takes a while to get back to it exactly so now that you're done you know you yep. have finished your dissertation defended it uh what are your future plans what uh, what are you planning to do with the research you have done and you know with the degree now that you have uh, yes. what, what are your future plans going forward um for now I think I'm just going to continue like working so we're working for the federal government right now so mm -hmm. I know those like research skills come in handy mm -hmm. um I think probably it's seeing what I can produce out of my dissertation I think I mentioned earlier that you know I would really like to at least get an article out of it right yeah. book project I'm not sure I did get the book like when my supervisor told me about it. I think it's called like from thesis to book so mm -hmm. maybe I'll read through that and decide whether I want to do that yeah. but who knows I may want to do a bit of researching and teaching on the side in the future we'll see I think it's just like still so close to it so yeah, you're just I think, like just trying to savor the moment of it savor being, done. The moment <laughs> being done well it's like actually it was kind of nice like um I hadn't looked at my stuff for a long time until I was like preparing for this podcast and it was kind of nice looking back at my dissertation without the like defense hanging over my head because <laughs> it's like you read it totally differently and then it's just yeah or like you know after you submit it and you find spelling mistakes yeah <laughs> like you know you like misspell an author's name and then you find out that author is actually on your committee like, <laughs> okay they were very gracious about it but that was like so embarrassing and I was like oh no oh no <laughs> so it's okay sure well you passed so I'm sure that I was passed. not a that I was passed. not a big deal <laughs> um, yeah. so Nadia where can people find you if they want to know more about your research if they want to you know just get into contact with you uh what, what are some avenues like are you on social media is there an yes, email do you have a web page yeah where can people find yeah. you yeah probably I guess the easiest place is on Twitter where I'm like you know I like to retweet and like things haven't been super active lately but yeah. it's I believe it's nshai27 mm -hmm. is my Twitter handle but yeah I think that's probably where I hang out a lot so okay yeah. I will also add your Twitter handles in our show notes so our um, people who are listening can find you there and follow you and you know seriously stalk you to see yep. what you're liking <laughs> yeah. what you're to see what I like what I'm retweeting <laughs> yeah yeah so now we're coming towards the end of the podcast are there any final words any thoughts anything that you want to um you know mention um our audience is mostly early career graduate students so anything that you think could be helpful for them to know um I think well I think it's you know it's like a really hard slog sometimes yeah. going through grad students going through studies but I think sometimes it's really interesting it's like talking actually talking to people about your research a bit in like a low pressure setting because like sometimes when you're in your own head the whole time you're just like oh whatever everybody knows inspired to be exists and then yeah. you talk to somebody about it they're like oh that's so fascinating yeah, and like, you, know, yeah. you get talking about it <laughs> like it's um you know that's like a good way to kind of have that joy in that research and the, I don't know but in the 
actually there's like one piece of advice like more so for the defense mm-hmm. like what the it was the chair who told me this like yeah. before he we went in and he's like I know I always tell like grad students like they're nervous to go into the dissertation but he's like this is the one time where everybody in the room is here just to talk about your research right right so I, I thought that was kind of like a nice thing to yeah to, and you probably <laughs> you probably are the person who knows the most like they have read it yeah. but you have done the actual research so I think if exactly. you're in that room you're probably fine right <laughs> exactly yeah because it's just supposed to be like a you know way to show that you can be part of your like academic peers and, right yeah and I think it's just yeah and in, in general it's just like it doesn't I guess a good thesis is a done thesis yeah and you know a little bit at a time just slowly hack away at it because we have all our other you know life happens during PhDs so don't don't beat yourself up if you can't like have a week of like perfect writing just yeah excellent well thank you so much Nadia it was such a pleasure it was both for taking the time and also such a fascinating topic this is like you were saying like you know people sometimes even if they know these magazines exist we don't know what you know like the way you explain what the content was like what the purpose was and how the process was about accessing and then analyzing it um so yeah thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you Okay, so for our listeners, um, that was our final episode uh, for the season. Thank you so much for listening to all our episodes. You can find previous episodes at the link posted in the website as well. Um, Take care and have a great rest of the summer. Bye.